You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do. That's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. You can find Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson NBA and myself on Twitter at Walker Mail, M-E-H-L. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, fantasy sports. We've been going through the roster, evaluating each player, kind of looking at the three stages of their career in the past, what their present is, and what their future might be. Not going with a player today, though. Today, we'll discuss Steve Clifford's tenure with the Charlotte Hornets. An interesting one where he saw a couple of playoff berths, went to a Game 7 a couple of years ago against the Dwayne Wade-led Miami Heat. Of course, LeBron was gone already by then. So had some success, but also had some disappointing seasons, and probably none more than the season that we're just coming off of here in Charlotte, where Steve Clifford probably expected to make another playoff appearance and just didn't do so with the kind of roster that was constructed around him where he and Rich Cho if they thought that they had a roster that was constructed well enough at least to be one of the top eight teams in the east but certainly wasn't and after two seasons of not making the playoffs Steve Clifford now out of the Charlotte Hornets organization. So the search goes on for the next head coach, but we'll get into Clifford's tenure here with Charlotte. The second round of the NBA playoffs is underway, so we'll spend some time on that. Huge game one tonight, by the way. It feels like this is as big a game one as I can remember in recent memory with LeBron James coming off what seems to be the most vulnerable number one or round one series we've seen him. And of course, Toronto just has all the pressure in the world because nobody believes in him. Nobody believes in them, despite them being the number one team in the regular season. No, I don't think anyone's betting on Toronto at this point until they prove they can get by Cleveland. It used to be, or by LeBron James, really, I think we should say. (laughs) Because it used to be Toronto can't get out of the first round, then they went to the conference finals, and now it's Toronto can't get past LeBron. I subconsciously said LeBron, and I feel like I usually was saying Cleveland, but I subconsciously said LeBron earlier today. I mean, that's right. It's it's not Cleveland. It's not the Cavaliers. Uh Look, I'm sorry. Is this some of your... Pacer sadness coming back out? Probably a little bit. Probably a little bit. I, we, we won't do the 30 seconds again, but LeBron just whooped up on him. And he's probably going to whoop up on the Toronto Raptors too, but is Toronto going to fold and is the Cavaliers team going to actually step up around LeBron? It, it, I mean, can you think of a game one really with this kind of magnitude at the beginning? I, I don't think I can remember anything quite like this we're going to talk about philly boston coming up in a bit but i thought philly really needed to take advantage of that game one scenario in boston and could not do it and i think that was huge for them but no i think yes i think people are going to want to see i mean that game seven was one of the highest rated first round playoff games ever between cleveland and indiana and i think people are going to be just as intrigued to see Uh, if LeBron James can single-handedly will his Cleveland Cavaliers uh, into the conference finals. Yeah, he's been doing it so far, at least the first seven games. And an Indiana team that probably deserves more credit than they've gotten, but still, I don't think anybody expected the Cavaliers to have that close of a series with the Indiana Pacers. We'll take you 
to <laughs> the music that makes me feel so bad. We'll also take you out on some daily segments relaying the odds of Charlotte possibly getting the number one overall pick. We had some dark odds yesterday. I don't know if it'll be dark again, but if possibly the most ridiculous thing. got some light thing, meat. We got some. We got some light stuff going on today, so we'll see what kind of ridiculous things that probably have a better chance of happening than the Hornets getting the number one overall pick. And we'll move on to some draft coverage a little bit. Miles Bridges, sophomore out of Michigan State, a guy that could have been there for the Hornets last year and also could be there around where the Hornets will most likely pick again. They'll be picking what seems like 11. That's where they're slotted on as far as the best odds. So Bridges is a guy that was a real possibility last season, but of course came back to school. Kind of a shocker for everyone that Miles Bridges decided to give it another run at the championship, but loses to Syracuse in the second round in Michigan State out of the NCAA tournament. Miles Bridges out of Michigan State. So we'll hit on him again this season. So Steve Clifford, we'll jump into him now. Steve Clifford comes into the league under the Van Gundy coaching tree. Starts with New York, goes to Houston, coaches McGrady, coaches Yao Ming. They don't get out of the second round. Of course, that's kind of something that's been held against Tracy McGrady for some time. But he stays in Houston for just a few years, four years to be exact, that he stays with Houston. Then he goes to Orlando, where he stays a while. And Orlando constructed themselves a pretty good basketball team. And Dwight Howard was just starting to come into his own as far as one of the best players in the NBA, not just a guy that was going to be going to continue to be a project. He was coming into his own when he gets there. 2007-2008, Dwight Howard was entering prime peak Dwight Howard. And Stan Van Gundy and company put together a team around him. That was very good. You had Hido Turkoglu, who was a guy that was an interesting basketball player, but the assists were actually pretty much there for him. I think a lot of that, you can tell why the Nick Batum comparisons were there because you look at the stat line, eerily similar. If you watch what Hito Turkoglu, if you look at the numbers, what Turkoglu did in that championship run season, and you look at what Nick Batum kind of has done for the Hornets this entire time, eerily similar, but they, they get a guy like that. You know, Jameer Nelson had one of his had his only All Star season, I believe, with that run with Steve Clifford and the Orlando Magic. Uh, that that was a Rashard Lewis coming over from Seattle. You know, they they figured out how to work with him. I, I think Steve Clifford talked on the Zach Lowe podcast how Rashard Lewis didn't really want to play power forward, but they basically just made him play power forward, and Rashard bought in, and it really helped that basketball team out. And now you're you're mentioning all those guys around Dwight. All of them can shoot the three and. I don't know about a pioneer per se, but certainly out as front as anybody of this kind of basketball game that sees a lot of three pointers out there on the floor, uh, a lot of three point shooters out there on the floor. And I think it's interesting his time in Orlando really set the stage for his time in Charlotte because you had to get Turkoglu and Richard Lewis to both buy in defensively just enough, so. Th- so that you could pair him, pair them with Dwight Howard, who was such a dominant presence defensively. He said, if you buy in on defense just enough and we put a dominant center there underneath the rim and protect the rim, then we'll have just enough defense with a high-powered offense to get us to the finals. And that's just what they did. And that's what he attempted to build in Charlotte, just could never get that dominant rim protector and the buy-in from the wings going on at the same time. And, and ultimately, uh, that five-year experiment ran out. It sure did. And now he's gone. He's now looking for a new job. But you could see the blueprint set there. And again, it, it's Stan Van Gundy at the helm of that Orlando Magic team. But Steve Clifford, 
I mean, he was extremely respected. I mean, still, it's a guy that's still respected in NBA circles today, and a lot of that was because of the work that he did with Orlando. And then you look at that other team. You know, 2009 was the finals appearance team, but then you look at the next team after that. I think they finished with the best regular season. But I know Boston actually got ahead of them and were able to move on to the finals that year. And a lot of people had Orlando pegged as that team because, remember, I think it was that year they actually trade for Vince Carter or they're able to get Vince Carter as a member of the Orlando Magic. And that roster, you look down at it, and it looks crazy. That's an insane roster you look at with all the star power that they have. So you have Vince Carter on that team, and that roster looks great. And again, you have Premier Dwight, you have Vince Carter, in his 12th year in the league, sure, he's been there a while, but still, I mean, it was still a, a very good Vince Carter at that time. You're getting guys like Gilbert Arenas was on that team, and by he was starting to come out of it a little bit, but that, that, was, a, that was a roster that was built, again, for another championship run. And you heard Steve Clifford and Zach Lowe talk about that. I mean, Zach Lowe thought they were the best team in the NBA that entire season. He thought they had a real shot, and it ends up just being Boston. So they might have even underachieved it with that particular roster because they go to the finals in 09, and then they just don't make it the next season so then of course Steve Clifford he coaches a couple more years with them and then he goes to LA where you do have the Dwight Howard Steve Nash Kobe Bryant experiment he does coach that team and then he's hired he's hired as a head coach for the first time he coaches the Bobcats and then after one year they go back to the Charlotte Hornets and Steve Clifford saw some success and you know we, we we've seen Steve Clifford have a couple of years of success with the Hornets, but also a few years where he wasn't able to make the playoffs. But they were always at least in contention for the eighth seed, which had been more than enough praise for a guy like that to make that Bobcats team actually be in contention for those kind of spots. Well, we'll dive a little bit in more to it um, as we get more into Steve Clifford's tenure with the Charlotte Hornet. A lot to get to with Steve Clifford. We'll take a quick break and come back with more on the former head coach. I'm Walker May alongside Doug Branson. You're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We don't want that Pacers talk. You got to respect the satchel. We don't want that Cavs talk. <laughs> what you got, Doug? I have the entirety. I turned this satchel a little loud today. <laughs> Be quiet, satchel. No, we're ba- it's a club banging in here. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Again, Walker Mail, Doug Branson here with you discussing Steve Clifford and his tenure with the Charlotte Hornets. We discussed a little bit of his past. And again, the success that he had with Orlando under the Van Gundys, under Stan Van Gundy to be specific. But now looking at his tenure with the Charlotte Hornets, he comes in that first year. What a fantastic season, at least for us at the time, Bobcat fans, right? Because you go 43 and 39. You're... Dom, you're you're surrounded by what Steve Clifford at least offensively was familiar with. And Al Jefferson, he wasn't the defender that Dwight Howard was, but Al Jefferson was the guy for that playoff appearance team. And you can look at that roster that actually made the playoffs. Doug and I were looking at it before the podcast where we got on here. It Talk about overachieving with this roster. Incredible what Steve Clifford is able to do his first season. And you're thinking, hell yeah, we got Steve Clifford here in Charlotte because if he makes that roster a postseason team, 
then I don't care if they get swept by LeBron James and company. I'm cool with them. Now all you have to do is make sure you get some good draft picks heading this way. And if you give this guy some talent, then you think he's going to lead you into the second round, which he had not seen and here in the Star- in Charlotte since, what was it, like 2002, something like that, early 2000s. Yeah, and Clifford was fortunate in that he got the Al Jefferson sort of dominant season, Al Jefferson's best season in the league, essentially, where he was third team All-NBA, collecting double-doubles and essentially being a problem for every defense on every night. And you couple that uh, with some savvy moves by Rich Cho getting Gary Neal in midseason. And then they benefited from the McRoberts deal that they pulled off the previous season. McRoberts really came into his own and opened up a lot of things. Offensively, uh, this was not a team on paper that was going to scare anyone, but they were able to do just enough and pair that with an elite defense. And it's funny to see what Steve Clifford was able to do with those kind of pieces because there's a couple of times where you can see Steve Clifford really get the best out of some of these players, right? And Josh McRoberts, has he been more successful anywhere else in the NBA than he was here with the Charlotte Bobcats? Because I can't remember it being that successful, at least. No, but he's also, I think, been in a full body cast since he left Charlotte. I guess that's true, but also beforehand. I I just think that Steve Clifford, you know, that would have been his sixth season in the league. And even beforehand, and some of that's just developing, I get that. But but McRoberts, you you could tell that Steve Clifford got the most out of him and to where he was a valuable player, where you could tell Steve Clifford kind of wanted him back on this team. You can look at Gary Neal, who was awful the next season, but you trade for Milwaukee. You trade, uh, you make that trade to Milwaukee. You get Gary Neal back, and Gary Neal actually contributes for this team. And then I, the reason I say that is then again, you can go back to the other postseason berth that they had, right? Where who would have thought Courtney Lee and Jeremy Lin come in and have that big of an impact with that Charlotte Hornets team where you can tell the game plan just worked. Jeremy Lin was a reclamation project. Nobody wanted Jeremy Lin all that badly. He had his time in New York. Houston gives him some money. Doesn't really work out. Looking for a team. Charlotte gets him a backup point guard spot. And all of a sudden, Jeremy Lin actually is defending a little bit better than he had been earlier on. And actually, a very good backup point guard ends up getting $15 million or whatever it was with the Brooklyn Nets. Again, you go back to his time in Orlando where they were able to get guys like Rashard Lewis and, and Turkoglu to play some defense, to buy in defensively. And part of that is that Clifford comes in to these players with a clear message, which is, I've studied your game. I know what makes you successful as an NBA player. I promise you that we're going to play to your strengths offensively if you'll give me a little bit of buy-in defensively. And for four seasons, that message worked. And unfortunately, I think this last season, it did not work. He did not get in the buy-in defensively from multiple players and and it caused the team to regress and do you think and you wonder why that message kind of went went awry right because if you had players on this team that had already been here and seen the success of what Clifford was able to do with a roster that was not a strong roster not a particularly strong roster then you would have to think well maybe it just gets old I'm certainly not in those players shoes But you would have to think that you're buying into what Clifford says, right? I mean, how many new players were on this team as opposed to the 36-win team before the season or the 48-win team that went to the postseason? You did lose a couple of guys, but there's not too many many new big contributors. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't think there's any guy like who was not on that last postseason birth team that's on it now because I can't remember any big-time contributors or anybody like that. 
Right. I and mean, to see and well, and to see again, it just it's weird that these guys. Maybe it just got. Maybe they just got tired of it. I mean, it happens. But it's still, it, it's weird to see that when they buy in, it actually kind of worked. And maybe they just kind of lost faith after a season where they went 36 wins and didn't make the playoffs and kind of just did it again this season. Well, because you, ha- you have to think about this, Walker. Like, doing what Steve Clifford asks of you on defense in terms of getting back into transition, you know, hard closeouts, the, the kind of things that – and protecting the rim at all costs, those are things that take a, a special level of commitment, especially when the offense isn't playing well, to stay committed to your, to your defensive strategy. And if, if you don't believe – that that the the overall vision is going to lead to playoff success. I think they believed that when they when they played Miami to seven games. I think the entire team believed that they had a team that could make some you know damage in the playoffs. I'm not sure that this team believed that, and, and that's where your commitment to those kind of things start to slip. Well, and that's that's my question that I don't think we can probably find out is why did it go awry though? Like why did they not believe it? Is it because? It just, again, is it just too much because of the level of commitment, I guess, that it just get tiring for them. But even though, you know, you're, you're getting a guy like Nick Batum paid. You know, I mean, if, if you know, Nick Batum was a good player, I don't want to take it all away from him. But also, I would argue that Steve Clifford had a pretty big fingerprint on his ability to get paid and having one of the better seasons. You know, again, talk about a reclamation project. Nick Batum was not very good the last season in Portland. Walker, I think it all starts with losing Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee, and Al Jefferson and not being able to replace those pieces. I really think it starts with with two seasons ago and not not last season. I really think yeah. that's where the belief starts to slip from the, from the mainstays, from your Kimbas, from your MKGs, from your Marvins. And I think... I think you were kind of hoping that the belief of Kemba, who had grown into a better player, maybe rubs off on other players, but it just never did. And at that time, how much how much PT was Al Jefferson getting in that second postseason berth that they had? Because wasn't Cody Cody Zeller, I believe, moved to the starting bench, and then Al Jefferson kind of goes to or had moved to the starting lineup, I should say. And then I think Al Jefferson started to sit down a little bit on the bench while Cody was on that team. But again, nonetheless, I mean, you have to say what a good job Al Jefferson does at that point because he's willing to come off the bench while he kind of gives Cody Zeller a little bit more playing time. And then you look at kind of the minutes played per game for those guys. Cody Zeller was just behind Al Jefferson. Um, Al Jefferson getting 24, Cody Zeller getting 20. But I'm pretty sure at the beginning, uh, at the end of that season, I think you started to see Cody get a few more minutes a game here and there. So I, I just think with those two guys, you're, you're right, Doug. I mean, you do lose a few guys, but also you do have a couple of mainstays with that team. And, and you know, you just you said it. I mean, you, you probably said it as best as anybody that it starts with those two years ago or those two years ago with that team. Yeah. Losing a few guys. You don't see the results the next season. Thirty six wins. You don't see the results this season, despite adding a Dwight Howard, 36 wins again, and now Steve Flivers out of a job, at least right now, certainly out of the job with the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, and I think also we can't discount the fact that Clifford did have health issues this year. Uh, we documented it a lot on the show, you know, his uh, battle with not sleeping enough that, that caused him to miss uh, several weeks of action, and that really derailed any hope that this team had to overachieve, I think, because that completely takes you out of out of your rhythm as a player, what you're used to day in and day out, and and what the game plan is. And as you know, Silas did an admirable job trying to 
to, to keep that going. But at the same time, that's your head coach. And when you lose him for that long, I think it really threw a wrench into this season and, and probably took a lot of the steam out of the sails ultimately. Yeah, it was weird because I, I don't think – I don't know how much you saw – all that much schematically different from from Silas, but losing Steve Clifford, I remember, and we'll try to have Rick Bennell on the show tomorrow, but we were talking with Rick Bennell earlier in the season, and I remember him saying, you have Steve Clifford on the sideline instead of Silas. You're talking about probably three more wins, four more wins with this team, which is hard to gauge. I get that, but still, just even the feeling with that, as a guy who covers the team so closely, it's an interesting comment to say with Clifford on the side, then on that on those sidelines you know you talk about three more victories all of a sudden you're starting to put up a a way better fight you know three games is everything four games is everything to try to get back into the playoff picture especially if you're an eight seed and they just don't get it there and then you're talking about you know you're talking about okay you make a postseason berth with four games or you're out of a job it just goes to show you the margin for error is nothing when you're talking about that kind of basketball team yeah, at his best, I think Clifford was able to get players to overachieve and play well, well above their pay grade. And at his worst, I think some of his defensive philosophies and offensive strategies started to look a little stale. Uh, I was interested by Brad Stevens, uh, head coach of the Boston Celtics, his comments uh, after the third quarter in that game one against Philadelphia. They asked him about Joel Embiid. Uh, starting uh, to get a lot more uh, action underneath the rim and starting to get into a groove. And Brad Stevens basically said, listen, we're going to give him that. We're going to live with that because we're cutting off the three-point line. So that's essentially opposite of the philosophy that that Steve Clifford employed throughout most of his tenure here in Charlotte, which was deny the rim, deny the rim, deny the rim, try your best to get back to the three-point line. Brad Stevens, who's everyone saying could be the best coach in the NBA, is saying, no, 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 opposite. We're yeah. going to the three-point line. Which is weird because what with the NBA right now, it is all about three-point shooting. But you look at a team like a rock, like like the Houston Rockets, they are so extreme. They're probably the most extreme analytic team out there. And one, it's working, but also, of course, with the talent. But they've completely eradicated the mid-range game. So it's not just the three-point shooting. It is also looking at what they do at the rim. And, of course, James Harden going to the free-throw line, which seems like 20 times a game. So you go the free-throw line, you go to the basket directly, and then you shoot 43-pointers, and that's the way that they play basketball. So what Steve Clifford, again, trying to do is eradicate all of the close shots at the rim, but the three-point line, they just weren't able to defend well, and the defense didn't look all that great. And we discussed this from the stats from cleaning the cleaning the glass where Dwight Howard was kind of scaring people off going to the rim. But once they got there, they were actually hitting at a pretty decent rate compared to other teams in the NBA, which is an interesting stat. But here you have Brad Stevens saying no, and we're just going to live with that. Interesting uh, coaching philosophies where, you know, which, which one is working? I think you'd have to go with Brad Stevens, amongst other things for him. But still, Brad Stevens considered a guy probably right outside of what Greg Popovich is. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community. For as little as $1 a month, you can help us keep making the Daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. Go to Patreon, go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode. Get double entries into our contest and access to content before anybody else. Patreon.com slash LOH. Again, every dollar goes to making this the best Hornets talk in Charlotte. So again, go support patreon.com slash LOH. Again, we we put all of this into trying to make this show the best possible podcast that we can when we're discussing the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte's odds at the first overall pick. And Miles Bridges, 
Miles Bridges sound, at least, uh, that's coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Stay tuned. I'm Walker Mail alongside Doug Branson. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but is that, is they, that the guy? they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night. They didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Thanks for sticking around on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Again, Walker Mail, Doug Branson here with you. Going up against Steve Clifford, talking at least about Steve Clifford. The NBA playoffs starting tonight with the Cavaliers and Toronto Raptors in their game one. Discussing how that might be one of the more impressive or most important game ones, I should say. Philadelphia, the Celtics, they played last night. Boston able to come out on top with some impressive performances from Terry Rozier. Al Horford, again, has been so good in this postseason, even back to their last series against the Milwaukee Bucks that win seven games. But they get this first one at home, Doug, and now it looks like what a lot of people were hopping on that Philadelphia 76ers bandwagon. Boston kind of telling you not so fast. Well, we took care of business at home, and there's a reason we were the second best team in all of the NBA, in, in Eastern Conference, I should say, this season. Yeah, about all of those 76ers finals picks. Might want to <laughs> hold on a little bit until we see what the Boston Celtics can do. They are really playing with more confidence than I've seen anyone outside of Houston in this playoff so far. Uh, they they are just uh, outstanding, and, and I, don't, I don't understand. I mean, a bold strategy from the 76ers, basically refusing to guard Al Horford. Listen, I know he's boring, but he's an all-star, and, and he's showing you his value there in Boston. Uh, people are disrespecting Al Horford at their own peril. Al Horford hit a couple of really tough shots, too, last night that I could remember. And Joel Embiid was on him once. And well, maybe. Well, I don't know if he was on him or not. He was refusing to guard him. <laughs> there, there, there was one. I'll, I'll give Joel, at least for trying, right? He gets an A for effort on this one post-up attempt where Al Horford was on the low post block. He kind of dribbles inside, and Embiid's just all over him. And then Horford kind of throws it to the ceiling, and it's a teardrop into the basket. And it was a really impressive shot. There was another time he gets it kind of on the elbow. And he gives a jab step, and you know he's going to shoot it. You know when players are getting ready for that jump shot, but the defense has to kind of stay honest to see if they're going to go to the basket. And Al Horford just shoots it once again. It was a mid-range. And those were a couple of shots, but again, that's the only time I can remember them really contesting Al Horford, and Al Horford made both of those. He's been so good this postseason. And of course, you have to go to what Terry Rozier did last night. Terry Rozier was amazing. Uh, this is a guy that was picked 16th overall. A lot of people dogged the pick because there was a, a, a point guard overload that they had in Boston. I remember Bill Simmons one time discussing that they really liked Demetrius Jackson, the point guard out of Notre Dame, but he was stuck in the G League because they didn't have a spot for him. There's too many guys in the backcourt, and one of them, of course, Terry Rozier, who it seems like every game you watch him play, he's balling out and has some kind of career night. Scary Terry, fantastic nickname there for fantastic Terry. Fantastic nickname. And yeah, I mean, I think he, he has me to think, honestly, because whenever I don't watch Terry Rozier play, he plays extremely well. So I caught I caught like the last half 
of the <laughs> third quarter into the fourth quarter. And uh, yeah, he was absolutely unstoppable in that game. Maybe I'm he not, can Venmo you some of that paycheck that he gets. I, I think I think I've earned it. I think I deserve it. I think yeah. Uh, you know, people are debating whether or not Ben Simmons is actually a rookie, and we don't have to have that conversation. But I don't want to. Yeah, he certainly looked. <laughs> he certainly looked like one last night. He looked shook, and he was taking some cheap shots. He was frustrated last night. Seven turnovers. I, ben Simmons. Now, of course, he's fantastic. I don't think people like Ben Simmons a whole lot. And you can he tell doesn't that give people in. a lot of reason no, he to does like not. him. He does not. When you look at all these players going up against him. I think people. I, he's he's gonna he's gonna mess with the wrong dude one day. It's not exactly like Marcus Morris is one of the dudes that you want to mess around with. There was one time Marcus Morris just right in front of the ref pushes Ben Simmons all the way to the baseline when they're trying to inbound it. Ben Simmons, you know, kind of gives just the, just this look, but the ref ain't doing nothing about that. And Marcus Morris. Fine, come at me. He wants him to. Well, and last night it was Marcus Smart as well. Uh, so maybe he just doesn't. You probably like, don't want that. Either. Maybe maybe he just doesn't like guys named Marcus. Maybe he's just got a got a thing against. That's weird. Green and Marcus. And maybe that, maybe that's a weird thing to have. But again, it's there's a lot of dudes that don't love Ben Simmons, and it's not like if hey, if you're talking about, uh, I guess maybe not your all back alley team, but if you wanted to discuss some guys you don't really want to mess with relative to their size, I feel like Marcus Smart is one of those guys, and Marcus Morris, the, the Morris twins, they'll get at you. How about the all whack alley team? Ilyasova, Bellinelli, and Covington. I'm talking about the 76ers bench. If anyone should be mad about last night, I think it should be Miami Heat fans, Walker, because all of those cats turned back into pumpkins and mice. They played so well against the Heat, and then that game won. They were and that good. Yeah. No, they weren't very good. And so you see the 76ers struggle altogether against the Boston Celtics, who it is. I mean, again, I'm going to give some love to Brad Stevens. I was listening to Kevin Artovitz on the Zach Lowe podcast as well, giving Zach Lowe a lot of pub today. Don't know what that's about, but he deserves it's it. It's a good podcast. It, it's a great podcast, it's a fantastic man. Podcast. I guess you'll be hearing me discuss a lot about Zach Lowe and probably Kevin Artovitz. Need that guy on the podcast. Let's get that guy on here. Sure, I'll, I'll work on it. Kevin Artovitz on the Zach Lowe podcast, was discussing that he was, I, I don't remember what assistant coach it was or what team he was on, but he was discussing with an assistant coach about Brad Stevens. And the assistant coach said to Kevin, he was saying, look, Brad Stevens is a really good coach. He, he's a really good coach. I, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he's not crazy good. He's not as crazy as every, I mean, there, there's some other guys that I think you could put right there with them because this whole argument is that he doesn't have a whole lot of talent. Man, man look at Boston. They've got a lot of talent. And Artovitz was bringing that up to Zach, and much like my reaction, nah, I ain't buying that. Because, look, they have some talent, but... Well, a lot of it's injured. Well, a lot of it's injured, and it's young. So uh, you can't count Gordon Hayward because you've seen him on the floor for five minutes. Kyrie Irving has been out forever, so you can't count these victories to Kyrie Irving. You're getting production from guys like Terry Rozier. The player development has been insane. Al Horford, of course, is an all-star. That's fine if you want to kind of write him as some of the talent that they have. But Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are both very young, and they're playing at a very high level. Then you go to the bench. No, Shane Larkin is playing in Spain the previous year, and it's a guy that contributes for that basketball team when he plays. Simi Ojale is a second-round pick. He had a big corner three last night and is a very good 3 and D. It looks like prospect for the future. He develops players as well as anybody that we've seen within that span. Again, 
I the Boston he comes in doesn't make the playoffs but has like a 28 win season his first season and makes the playoffs every single year since with the Celtics when I think about great coaches I look at the roster and I ask a couple of questions number one are there players on that roster that are playing well above their pay grade I think the answer to that is yes in Boston I also ask this second question that's a little related but is are there players on that roster that if they went to any other NBA team would not be would not be contributing near as much as they are in in the team with that coach and I think when you look at Shane Larkin when you look at Terry Rozier I I have a question as to what contributions those players could give to another team I think Boston I think he's put a perfect system there in Boston and listen they have overcome the adversity of an injury to Gordon Hayward of an injury to Kyrie Irving that should have sunk this Boston team, uh, but they maintain. I wonder how much you can put Marcus Smart in that category as well, because Marcus totally. Smart Marcus Smart tries to play himself out of some money every now and then where he'll just put up shots from 30 feet out and you just don't quite get what he's doing. But then Brad Stevens will come up with something for him offensively. He'll have that one good game. His defense is crazy. And then you're thinking, yeah, that guy's a $12 million a year kind of player. That's a player you have to manage. That's a player you constantly have to coach and constantly have to get buy-in from and play to his strengths. And there have been uh, moments and games and weeks where Marcus Smart has been a disaster, but his butt... <laughs> He's tried to play himself out of it, absolutely. Right, but he al- but you always reel him back in at the right time. And, and to me, again, that's another sign of, of a great coach. I think uh, that's, that's definitely uh, how you can describe... Our man. Sure, sure, Brad absolutely. Stevens. Well, what's interesting, and, re- and real quick, we'll move on into the rest of the playoffs, but Celtics going to make this a series. Can we skip the West, Doug? Is there anything you want to hit on the West? Skip it. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Golden State going to I got breaking through. news here if you want it. Sure, let's do it. Charlotte, this is from uh, Woj, a little Woj bomb here. It's a mini Woj bomb. It's like a Yeah, like a Woj firecracker. Like, just, just like one of those sound poppers. Yeah. Pop, pop, pop. All right, Charlotte has received permission to interview Portland assistant David Vanterpool, For franchise's coaching job, league sources tell ESPN Vanterpool will meet with Charlotte today. He's also met with the Orlando Magic, and he's been an assistant with Portland for six years and has helped to develop Portland's highly regarded backcourt duo of Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Terry Stotts is a very good head coach in the NBA. I think that's what we're leaning towards. What guy is a really good head coach? And let's just pick one of those guys off the tree. I really, I mean, they are interviewing a lot of people i think that's a good sign it's a sign that they are making sure that the next representative of their franchise is exactly who they want uh, installed and they're not just going after one or two names and pursuing them hard and, and yes I, I think it's interesting the the, the dame lillard cj mccollum connection because are th- are the hornets going to find a coach that is best suited to help develop malik monk yeah I think you might you might say that Vanterpool could be that guy. Do you like that? I mean, I, that's to hire a coach for one player. No, absolutely not. It's well, a terrible strategy. But yeah. I'm just saying, well, maybe uh, that's. I mean, I'm highly speculating. Here. Sure, sure. <laughs> we're yes, you're speculating. Are we reporting that? Are we thoroughly reporting that right now with all the research that you've done on that? Yes. Um, no, I I think that it makes a lot of sense. At the same time. Do you just want to, I don't want to say give up on Malik Monk, but maybe get somebody else. I, I agree with you about getting a lot of these names in here to interview these guys. I, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't know a ton about Vanderpool. I don't think we know a ton about any of these assistant coaches. But what I will say is that I do like Terry Stotts. 
you can't help but notice the development of C.J. McCollum, which we've talked about on the show within just the week about the development of what C.J. McCollum was able to do with Portland. And Damian Lillard has had a fantastic career. So, I mean, I, I think I'm fine with the hire just knowing those little bullet points, just those little nuggets on him. And we'll see if he's actually in some serious contention with a couple of those guys. A lot of coaches that either played overseas or coached overseas. Messina coached overseas. Vanterpool played overseas. Uh, Jayla Arnega from Boston coached yeah. overseas, coached for Ireland. And one more nugget, this is from Joshua Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel. Before the 2017-18 season, NBA.com asked all 30 NBA general managers to name the league's best assistant coach. Golden State's Ron Adams placed first, Messina finished second, Vanterpool and Golden State's Mike Brown finished in a tie for third, receiving 10% of the vote. So he has some respect around the league. Yeah, sure. And that's what um, I think that's a great sign when you see a lot of guys get that kind of respect. Messina, I feel like, has been getting respect. But then again, Doug, it goes back to something you brought up. Why don't they have a head coaching job yet if they've been so respected for so long? And again, just six years for Portland, but still. What is question. wrong with you, Vanterpool? There's something. There's something. If we get our magnifying glass out, we will find he has something. It's a thigh with tattoo, you. I bet. It it's probably is. Hey, what <laughs> mama don't know won't hurt you. All right. So then we'll move on from the playoffs. Do you have anything else with Toronto, Cleveland? It's going to be great. I'm just excited to see it more so than I have any kind of analysis for you. I just really want to see it. A bunch will, of pressure on both sides. Yes. Will Toronto's offense devolve into the, you know, sticky going to one player over and over offense that, that Indiana devolved into against, uh, against the the Cavaliers at times or will they stick with the plan I mean that's going to be the big the big storyline in this one three-point shooting will be interesting to see if they're able to do so DeMar DeRozan and again Kyle Lowry Kyle Lowry a good three-point shooter until he plays in the playoffs and DeMar DeRozan just starting to get his feet wet from beyond the arc this season so we'll see what those two guys are able to do all right let's go to everybody's favorite segment segment to get them down in the dumps Doug let's play the lottery man what kind of odds are we dealing with All right, so the Hornets have a 0.8% chance of winning the number one overall pick or 1 in 125 odds. I ask you this, Walker. Do the Hornets have a better chance of getting the number one overall pick or dating a millionaire? Oh, man, that's got to be getting the number one overall pick. That is correct. You are three of three. You are Terry Rozier hot on this game. If if you had better odds at dating a millionaire than... I don't know what I'm doing right now. But I'm going to surprise you, though. These odds are pretty close. It's 1 and 215. That's not bad. It's almost 100 off, right? Right. That's, so that, that, Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's yeah. right. There's and a lot more millionaires than $1 million. What I, I can't even say. I would say anyone on the Hornets has a pretty good chance of dating a millionaire as well. Their <laughs> odds are true. probably <laughs> slightly better. Probably representing that part. All right, how about this one? The Hornets have a uh, the Hornet do the Hornets have a better chance of winning the number 1 overall pick or catching a baseball at a major league ball game? Oh, I got to go with getting the number 1 overall pick. You're scorching hot 4 be. of 4. You have a 1 and 563 chance. Have you ever gotten close? No. Have you, no. have you been to many baseball games? I have, and I it's I am not a baseball magnet. And I've, I, I sit where it's a possibility. Now, I am always of the of the mind to, you know, if I caught one, I would give it away. I don't really care about the baseball. And maybe that's why I don't catch one, because I think the baseball knows that I don't really care all that much about it. And it's like, all right, well, hold fine. on one second. Hold on one second. It, it depends on who's hitting it, though, right? 
I mean, you got to give it to a kid if a kid is begging for it and he's right there. But, I mean, let's say, I don't know, what's your favorite team? The Atlanta Braves. So you've been to Turner Field a few times, and then now, what is it now again? It's uh, um, SunTrust, right? Yes. So have you been to, have you been to SunTrust? I haven't been to the new stadium yet. But yeah, okay, so Freddie Freeman. If Freddie Freeman right. hit a foul ball, I would, I would think a little bit about keeping <laughs> I would think so. I would think so. One time, and I was a kid, so I was still well within my rights of keeping it, but one time Sammy Sosa hit one pretty close to me. Now, I wasn't able to get it, but I was in Wrigley Field. Sammy Sosa hit one pretty close to me, had my Sammy Sosa jersey on. And that would have been pretty cool. But I'm 30 years old. Like, what am I going to do with a baseball? It's just going. It's just going to sit. Put it up on the mantle. I guess that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Like, if the kid's not begging you for it, though, you're not going to give it to somebody else that asked you for it, right? I mean, if you have, I mean, I, I would hope a 30 year old wouldn't ask you. A fellow 30 year old wouldn't ask you for it. Period. But still. I would. I wouldn't be surprised. The people. <laughs> the people at baseball games are nuts. You're gonna bring a net. Bring a big old glove. The die for it. One time, here's one time, here's one real quick story for you. Is during the 1998 home run derby, basically, between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, that battle, my brother was in Wrigley Field with a friend of his. Dad sends him to go to the concessions to get a couple things. He comes back with a couple of drinks and nachos. Hands are full. Mark McGuire out in the outfield, shagging balls. Mark McGuire turns, sees my brother with a handful of concessions, tosses him the baseball while the ball's midair. My brother has to figure out, am I willing to drop the concessions and grab this baseball from Mark McGuire, or do I hold on and try to get back to the team? He watches the baseball just float right in front of his face while a bunch of other kids dive on. I think that's a, sol- decision. I think that's a solid decision. He's Listen, he was a growing boy. And oh, you those are were, so that, positive. That right was now. probably the, that was an awful that, decision. That food was probably delicious. I always choose food over everything. <laughs> that so. was an awful decision for to to control at least to hold on to the concessions that you have i don't know if it was nachos they must have been damn good nachos or at least i hope so because i'm not doing that um all right odds is done playoffs are done steve clifford we've dove dove into him so far and what his tenure was with the charlotte hornets that'll wrap it up for the locked on hornets podcast thanks for joining us once again we really appreciate you joining myself walker mail and doug branson thanks for listening to locked on hornets here on the locked on podcast network follow us on twitter and instagram at locked on hornets subscribe to us subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, stitcher overcast wherever you get your podcasts just search locked on hornets we'll talk to you again tomorrow think we're gonna have rick Bennell on tomorrow so once again check us out uh we really appreciate you listening